Now the night has gone, now the night has gone away. Doesn't seem that long, we hardly had two words to sing. Hold me in your arms for just another day. I promise this one will go slow. Say the morning's come, don't say the morning's come so soon. Must we end this way when so much here is hard to lose? Love is everywhere, I know it is. Such moments as this are too few. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle, it's John Lamoureux. Okay, this week is another big one. We get to hear from Graham Russell of Air Supply. Now, I think Air Supply, I mean, what do you think of when you think of Air Supply? My guess is that you think of ballads. Some of like the most quality, eternal ballads ever recorded. That's what you probably think of when you think of this band. Now, if you dig deeper, you will know that there is way more to this band than just the ballads and that they can rock when they really want to. We play a couple of examples of that in this conversation. So anyway, I thought it would be really interesting to hear from Graham, who's the primary songwriter. He and Russell uh, Hitchcock are the two du- uh, is the duo who've been at this all along since the beginning. Russell's the singer, obviously. So Graham and I talk about you know, the ups and the downs. There was a time when Air Supply was on fire, and then there was a time when Air Supply was really uncool. And we talk about both of those, but now they're back out there. Of course, they're not because of COVID. Nobody is. But they have really been... The tide has turned, and Air Supply are sort of back on top in their own way, in their own world, thanks to the quality of what they've put out there. So we talk about the story behind some of the songs, some of their biggest hits. We talk about the diversity in their catalog that not a lot of people know about. And then also, get this, Graham is from Utah. Well, he lives in Utah. He lives in a small town outside in uh, Camas, outside of Camas, which is near Park City, sort of. And of course, I'm from Utah. So like it or not, folks, we talk a lot about what it's like living in Utah. So anyway, this was a really sweet conversation. He didn't have a ton of time, so we didn't go like as quite as in-depth as we might otherwise. But these guys are celebrating 45 years this year of being together. That is a huge accomplishment, okay? Anyway, here's Graham. He called me from his home outside of Camas, Utah. First of all, Graham, I got to say, I uh, I specifically wanted to speak to you because I am shocked to learn that you live in Utah because I'm from Utah. And oh, I want no you to tell me why you live there and where and for how long. Well, first of all, I've lived here for 30 years. Oh, really? Yeah. You know, it, I first discovered it. Well, I was playing the, the MGM in Vegas uh, 30 years ago, and um, my wife and I uh, decided to 
come and drive up here instead of going back to California where we were living. We were playing two weekends and normally you'd go back home. But we said, we jumped in the car and we said, let's just drive. And we drove up and we came to uh, St. George and then see the city. And I was like, whoa, you know, all these mountains, which I love. And we just really liked it. And we loved the space. And we came to Heber and we got a phone book and we pulled a name out of a phone book of a real estate agent and we called him and he agreed to meet us and we said we don't want to buy anything we're just curious what's going on you know and he said okay and we met we had breakfast with him and he became a good friend of ours he was a real cowboy with a big 10 gallon hat and uh, he was a wonderful person and he and he just started to show us around and eventually we found a place that we didn't want to buy but we bought it you know mm. uh, in heber no we're actually in woodland i don't know whereabouts are you from well i grew up in sandy and oh, okay. uh, my parents live in saint george i worked ah. in heber for a little oh. while i managed oh, the really? newspaper in heber for a little oh. while and oh. um i went to byu and oh, okay. i went to high school in salt lake city and that's all where all my relatives are we're driving out there this weekend so oh, okay. it's my home. I mean, Utah's oh. home. Do you live in? Are you in Utah now? I live in Denver now. My wife and I moved to Denver a few years ago, but all my family lives in Salt Lake. Oh, okay. Well, I'm near Camus. I don't know if you know where Camus uh -huh. is. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I used to go so, out with a girl in Camus. Boy, you are you're kind of up there. What what was? Yeah. Do you like it out there? Are you are you a big skier or what is it? No, I'm not a big skier, but I'm a kind of a naturalist. I love uh -huh. the open spaces and. You know, uh, we were fortunate enough to get a really nice piece of land in 30 years ago, you can imagine, yeah. and it was very inexpensive. Um, but it, it allowed us to create what we wanted to create. Uh, you know, in those days, you didn't have to get permission to build anything. You know, there was no building codes. You just kind of, I remember talking to a, a contractor when we wanted to build the house and I said well what, what is, are there codes he says no just go and build it you know mm. and so we did and it took 30 years but uh, you know it's a, just a beautiful place and yeah. I, I mean I love the mountains and the sky and the stars and we're very fortunate not to have any neighbors not that I it's not that I like I don't like neighbors sure. right but you know I spend so much time in cities around the world but coming back here is a real sanctuary and so it's a beautiful place to come back to, peaceful, and uh, yeah. I love all the wild animals and that kind of thing. You know, that's fascinating. Yeah, that is that just makes my heart sing. I'm so I'm so happy that you live there and to learn that that is amazing, and especially to be living kind of out in the smaller towns, out in the sticks. Yeah. That's beautiful. I'm really but, glad to hear that. Yeah, but when we first moved here, it was really the sticks. You know. Yeah. Uh, I remember when we moved from Los Angeles, we had a, and I want, wanted to move ourselves. We rented a U-Haul in the trailer. And I remember we said, oh, we better put some rice, big bags of, 20 pound bags of rice. They may not have rice in Utah, you know. <laughs> but I'm serious. But that was kind of exciting, you know. Yeah. It was going into a new world. It was like discovering a new country or a new yeah. place, which it was. Yeah. So. It took us a while to to figure out what's going on. There were no traffic lights, no sh shops or stores, anything. But it's a different story now. 
They, yeah. This is one of the fastest growing places in the United States. Uh, I mean, people are buying land up around here, left, right, and center. But yeah. fortunately, when we moved here, the the person, the real estate agent who we met initially, uh, he said, you know, if you can afford it, you should buy all the land around you because one day you're going to wish you did if you don't. And he said, you should buy it if, if it, you know, if you can. And so we did. And so we're lucky now because people can only get so close. Mm-hmm. Not that I, I love people, don't get me wrong, but sure. I like the privacy and the solitude. It's really good yeah. for me, good for my brain being a, a songwriter. It's great. Yeah. Thing. Fascinating. Yeah. You know, it's funny you say this because every now and then over the years, because, you know, we're celebrating 45 years of air supply and there's been a lot of ups and downs in yeah, that 45 yeah. years. And I want to ask you about some of that, but it's interesting because every now and then I'll go, I'll be driving through Utah or I'll be there visiting or whatever. Cause I go back there all the time oh, and occasionally yes. there will be, you know, a billboard that air supply is coming in concert or yeah. I had relatives that saw you guys at Tuacon recently down in St. George. Oh, that was, that was our last show before the virus took over. That's right. That's yeah. right. And so I would always gauge it would, I would always be, well, I'm happy to see the air supply is still doing well and has a big audience yeah. here at home. And now it makes sense because you're right there. So, yeah. yeah. In fact, uh, I don't know if you know this, but in, in the little, in Camus, I mean, wood, where I live in Woodland, I'm about five or six miles from Camus. But in Camus, you know, when I first saw Camus 30 years ago, it, it had no traffic lights and there was no restaurants. You couldn't get a cup of coffee. And, uh, you know, there was just a greasy spoon restaurant. But now there's a whole center in Camus. There's a the four-way stop in Camus now. It actually has a traffic light, folks. But about two miles from there is a, a, a center called the De Joria Center, which is as a state-of-the-art venue that holds 2,000. Really? Uh, oh, yeah. And it's a whole thing. They've got like 50 houses they built up there. There's got all these, they snowmobile and do trekking and everything. But there's yeah. this venue there, and we played there, not this last June, but the June before. And uh-huh. it was fantastic. And, you know, I, I stood there backstage and I thought, wow, 30 years ago, this, yeah. this was just a, a cow pasture. Yeah. So thing, wow. things change, you know. Yeah, they do. Speaking of things changing, so let's talk about that. <clears throat> As I mentioned, 44 years, there's a lot of ground to cover in that. And I was thinking when I was getting ready to talk to you that 45 years is such a great achievement, but you have to admit there had, there was a decade or two in there where Air Supply wasn't necessarily the coolest band in the world. Oh, absolutely. We were never the coolest band in the world. <laughs> we were always, we were never cool. And I think uh-huh. now that's worked to our advantage because yes. if you're not considered cool, then you can't be considered not cool. Right. You know what I mean? Later yes. on. The thing with us, you know, in the early years, we had all this success. And, you know, we were never at, at the parties. We never used to go out and be in the magazines and be in the hip, groovy places. We just didn't, that didn't appeal to us. Uh, but now that's worked to our advantage because we're still here. And, you know, we do a lot of, we do 125 shows a year, uh, not anymore, but right. we will when we come back. And that's what really what we, we love to do. So we're still able to do that. 
yeah. at a very high level after all these these years, which is, you know, we're very proud of that. But yeah, we in the early years we used to think, God, we've got all these, you know, five, six, seven, top five songs in a row, and and yet we get a lot of flack from the press, you know, thinking, oh, the songs are this or they're that, they're too dreary. Be be that true or false, who cares? But nevertheless, they were really successful. So it, it was is a double-edged sword, you know. The more success we had, the more people kind of shied away from us, you know. Yeah. But, however, throughout our career, we've always sold out every venue, and we, st- and we still do. So we kind of have the last laugh, you know. Absolutely. But, I mean, we don't. We've never cared about being cool. We just wanted the music to be really good, and uh, we wanted to to keep working for as long as we felt we could do it properly and to the best of our ability. And we're still doing that, you know. Yeah, there's. A, I mean, your your career follows an arc of a lot of legacy artists like you, where there's, you know, it starts out slow, it builds, you start having all the success, it starts to wean. There's some fallow periods in there, mm-hmm. but if the songs are strong. Mm-hmm. And you can, and those songs endure, then mm-hmm. the nostalgia and the quality starts to work together to bring you sort of back up yes. to the level where you're at now. And it, yeah. and that's where these the longevity and careers like yours are made because the quality was there all along. It's just that yeah. eventually a generation needs to pass or a decade needs to go by. Grunge, obviously, Air Supply wasn't going to do much in the grunge era. Yeah, but when yeah. all that is done, the quality of the songs rises back up, and now people just want to hear good music, and you they deliver do. it. Well, thank you. Yeah, we try to. We always have. But that's so true. And like you said, we have we have had fallow periods, certainly. You know, and after we stopped having chart success, and, and people wouldn't play the new, new songs on the radio, uh, and they still don't, we thought, oh, God, you know, maybe it's time for us to hang it up. But, you know, we said we're having so much fun. And we love to play live. We sell everything out. Why not just keep doing it? You know, you can't keep maintaining that chart success forever. You just can't. I mean, even Madonna reached a, a play a point after her incredible success where she's not on the charts anymore. And right. then, but but these days, because of the digital world and the downloads and the streaming, who cares anymore? You know, it's all about it's all about music and doing being passionate about what you do, which we really are. And I think throughout our career, when we go on stage, we mean it, we're sincere. Because with the topic of most of our songs, you have to be sincere. You can't fake any of that. You can't go up on stage and start singing all these love songs and not mean it, you know. If, if you don't mean it, the crowds will disappear. But at the, ver- at the very least during our shows, it's... it's uh, it's real and it means everything, you know. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. And just for diversity's sake, I wanted to ask you about um, one of your last albums, Mumbo Jumbo from 2010. Yeah. And the reason I mentioned that is because I want people to hear what latter day air supply sounds like because they probably know those hits and that's about it. It's a thousand miles from anywhere you know. Every direction brings you back here when you go The lunatics, the misfits, the needy and the greed The broken bits all made to fit There's nothing you will need It's always hot, the melting pot, the wagging tail and tongue We never close the coffers, make an offer until one 
The world is what we made it, and it's better upside down. The fastest growing, biggest little, loving, hated town. So welcome to the chaos, a purely perfect mess. You can get away with anything, as long as you confess. Make a big donation if you want to open doors. And rest assured that your reward will help to bend some laws. So won't you follow me? We'll walk into the fire. A new clean slate, and you'll be born again. It's so much easier when everyone's a liar. All you need to think about is how much you would really like to spend. Jumbo, no sense to anything. It's mumbo jumbo. Hey, misinformation. It's mumbo jumbo. Use your imagination. It's mumbo jumbo. That album is very cutting edge. There's like dance beats happening. There's rock yeah. songs on there. I believe you recorded it at your home. So I did, yeah. There, I mean, you uh, people may not realize that you're you could make it labeled as a ballad band, but you artistically are still thinking of other genres and doing other things, as evidenced by this mumbo jumbo album. Oh well, thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. Well, that you know, I wanted to do a concept album, and 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 that was a concept album, although people didn't take it as that. You know, there was a, a like a little small book going to be with it, and. It was about this this guy that did a few kind of weird things. But I thought, yeah, I want a concept album. And we recorded the album, but the concept never really came through. However, I'm very proud of the album. There's some really cool things on there, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the last album, the last full album we recorded. I think that was maybe 10 years ago or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where do you guys yeah. stand on new music now? Because I know, I think I believe you're releasing a Lost in Love experience live album to commemorate 45 years but is the drive still there to you know to experiment and write new songs and get new things off your chest it is yeah i mean i've written i always write every day i write something uh but i write a lot of musicals now so really i do i'm on my fifth musical but simply because i do write a lot and every day and I discovered that we weren't going to make as many albums as we used to simply because people don't buy them yeah. as much anymore. And unless you're in that upper echelon, you know, uh, which, which we aren't, we're in a certain level, which we're very comfortable with. And if people want to buy our music, they buy it at the show or they download it, you know, but they usually buy the hits or the greatest hits album, which has gone is over like uh, 10 million now. I was so, going to ask you about that. Everybody yeah. owns that. Everybody, everybody's got it yeah but it's a great record you know it is and so i found that for the songs i need to write just to, because they're there i need uh, to focus them so i found that writing for a story which i don't create is really good for me and it, so if i'm given a scene in a in a particular musical or a, a situation I can easily write a song around it, the right song for it. And I love that. It's a challenge, but it's something I really like right now. But um, funnily enough, those, like in our live show, we do three songs 
their new songs, I Adore You, Shake It, um, Free to Love, but they're each from different musicals. I'm here asking you for wisdom while seeking out the courage to stand against my doubt. My home has always been a prison. I never thought that someone would come to let me out. But now I see an open door that wasn't there before and cannot hold me in. For sure, the things I do without can never be the same as those I hold within. It's true. Oh, really? Yeah, so, but we, I don't tell people that. Yeah. But but they are. And then when, you know, Russell doesn't intro them as a song from a musical, I don't uh -huh. think that's important. What's important right. is the song itself. Yeah. But the songs, even though they are part of another project, they still fit into the air supply genre, you know. Yeah. Where, so, where's the outlet for these musicals? Are they being performed? Are they on Broadway somewhere? What? Where do I'm, these go? I'm not on Broadway yet, but I'm coming. I actually had a reading for the new, the latest one uh, Saturday here in Salt Lake, the first reading. Oh. I've had several readings in New York, Los Angeles. They're all at different stages, but they haven't burst out yet. Okay. And, you know, what, when I started to get involved with book writers and in the musical genre, uh, when I first arrived on that scene, I thought, oh, yeah, we can figure this out. We'll have a show in a year or two at the most. And everybody said to me, no, you won't. It takes 10 years to get a show off the ground, which I have recently discovered. So <laughs> I'm at that place. And each, each one of my five musicals is at a, a different stage, but they're all coming. But regardless of success or failure, it's just it's been a great thing for me to do yeah. as, a, as a songwriter because... I've learned more. I learned that if you're writing songs in a musical or a play, it's totally different. You know, you yeah. have to approach it differently. So I'm kind of keep learning, which is great for me because I, I, I don't like to get bored, you know. And plus, I, I write pretty fast. Once I get the story, boom, I'll write the song. Like when we actually, the tour con was the last, I think that was March 18th. Mm -hmm. And then we knew all the shows went away. Yeah. And I knew I was going to be here for a long time. So I thought, okay, I'm going to write a new musical. And I had the book already. And so I wrote the whole thing in in eight weeks. And that's the one we had us reading last Saturday. Wow. wow. Yeah. So, wow. Yeah. Amazing. That's great. Okay. I, speaking of songwriting, I want to ask you about a few of your classic songs. I'm really curious what the story behind some of them are, specifically Making Love Out of Nothing at All. I know just how to whisper And I know just how to cry I know just where to find the answers And I know just how to lie I know just how to fake it And 
I know just how to scheme I know just when to face the truth And then I know just when to dream And I know just where to touch you And I know just what to prove I know when to pull you closer And I know when to let you loose And I know the night is fading And I know the time's gonna fly And I'm never gonna tell you everything I gotta tell you But I know I gotta give it a try And I know the roads to riches And I know the ways to fame I know all the rules and then I know how to break them And I always know the name of the game But I don't know how to leave you And I'll never let you fall And I don't know how you do it Make a love out of nothing at all Out of nothing at all Obviously, you didn't write that. It's very much a Jim Steinman song. Oh, yeah, but yeah. I'm curious, that came out around the same time as his Total Eclipse of the Heart with yeah. Bonnie Tyler. And I wondered if, I don't know what was happening behind the scenes. I wondered if someone came to you and gave you a choice. Do you want Making Love or do you want Total Eclipse? What's the story of how that song even got to you? Well, at, at that point in our career, that was 1983, beginning of 1983, We'd had six top fives in a row, and Clive was very Clive Davis was very instrumental in our career in those days. And he came to us and he said, "You know, I want you to come to the office. I want to play you this song." And being being a songwriter, I'm I've never been the one to say, "Oh no, it's got to be all my songs." In, in fact, quite the opposite. I think Russell, as the lead singer in the band, should sing all kinds of songs, you know, and he does. And Clyde played us this song, and I, my first impression was, wow, it's really totally different, but it's great. And it was about seven minutes long, and I said, if we're going to do it, which I think we should, we've got to cut it down, you know. And so we kind of cut like two minutes off it. And then we got together with Jim, and Jim was really into it. And Jim was quite a character, you know. He's very eclectic, very eclectic. In fact, we, we met him... At Rumpel Myers ice cream store in New in New York City, and he says, "Yeah, I want to meet you at the ice cream store." And he had these leather gloves going all up his arms, you know. <laughs> and of course, he had the hair and everything. Uh -huh. And we, we walked in, and you know, we ate ice cream. But he was the Swedish guy, and he said, "Okay, if we're going to do it, we we should do it tomorrow." And uh, he or, he already had Bonnie Tyler screaming up the charts, you know. So he was riding high. And then he had all the meatloaf stuff, which I yeah. always loved. You know, I said, Jim, I'm a huge fan of yours. I love meatloaf. And so, you know, we went in to record it. We used uh, the E Street Band. Mm. And, uh, same as Bad Out of Hell. Yeah, exactly. It was, <laughs> I think he wanted to keep that same vibe. So sure. that was a thrill for us with Max Weinberg and Roy Bittan on piano. And we recorded it in an afternoon. Russell sang it first tape. And Clive just loved it because it was really Clive's idea, but he loved yeah. it and he was happy. I think he felt there might be some resistance from us, but there really wasn't, you know. 
and we said to Clive, we said, do you think it's going to be a hit? And he said, oh, yeah, it's going to be a hit. So about two weeks later, he, Bonnie Tyler was at number one and we were at number two. In fact, really? yeah. And, you know, I called Jim and I said, Jim, you know, you've got the one and two num- songs here. I wish we'd have got number one with it, but we didn't. We couldn't shake Bonnie Tyler out of there. But nevertheless, you know, it was great. Okay. Yeah, I love that song. It's a classic. It's uh, so Steinman. I just, those two songs came out around the same time, and I've always wondered if you had a choice or she had a choice and oh, right. how that got separated. Okay. No, no, we didn't. Although, <laughs> Totally Eclipse is a fabulous song. It is. I mean, I don't think there's another songwriter like Jim that writes so theatrically. Uh, he's brilliant. And I'm surprised. That I, I haven't heard from him for a long time in the news or in the industry. I hope he's still working. I'm sure he is. You know. Yeah. I, uh, I t- I've had many people on here who've worked with him because I love him. I always ask them about him and they say similar things. He's very eccentric and the gloves and food. I, I've had someone on here who I think it was guitarist Tim Pierce was telling a story about how oh. they went to dinner and Jim ordered a couple of everything that was on the menu for everybody. That's just, you know, he just wanted yeah. all the food, all the indulgences, yeah, yeah. All, and taste yeah. everything. And that's kind of a gym thing. Okay. I, know Tim's, I know Tim Pierce too. He's played on our, on some of our songs. Has he? Yeah. yeah. He's, he's great. Um, yeah. Let me ask you about Lost in Love too, because uh, that's sort of the thing I think that kicked it all off. Hey gang, let me break in here for a minute. We haven't done a midsection for a while. I want to catch you up on some uh, reviews. We've had some good ones, really nice ones. <laughs> Thank you, everybody who writes really nice reviews. And as I always say, you're welcome to write bad reviews too. I'm going to touch on that here in a second, but these are some very nice ones. Uh, this one's long, so let me let me read you this one. It's from Ricky NYC. Five stars, no snobbery here. I love that. Everything I initially disliked about this podcast is what ended up being exactly what I love about it. Initially, I found this through John's extended interviews with certain music industry people I happen to be fascinated with, including members of Talking Heads, The Waitresses, XTC, and producers like Clive Langer and Bob Rock. Most of the music podcasts I listen to, and most of the ones that get the attention, are from a pro perspective, hosted by either industry people with some experience reaching out to colleagues and digging deeper, or worse, professional critics. I'm used to a certain level of snobbery in this approach. I like that you said that. I have a real problem with that. For better or for worse, I didn't spend a lot of time thinking about acts that I never cared for or happened to be outside of the RS, Rolling Stone, Spin Magazine, Top 500 canon. What self-respecting rock critic would admit, as John does, I don't really care for the band. I never got it. That's funny. I just last night watched the Robbie Robertson uh, documentary on Hulu, Once We're Brothers. I still don't like the band, but I loved that documentary, and I loved The Last Waltz. Isn't that weird? Anyway, as I got through the artists here I was most interested in, I appreciated more and more John's status as a fan rather than expert. The subjects, in turn, seem to really appreciate his enthusiasm and deep knowledge, which very often opens interesting doors traditional journalists slash critics would never enter. After those listens, I went to the next tier. 
Maybe a one-hit wonder I was fascinated by. A behind-the-scenes person I recognized from their liner notes. Even the stories of people whose music I barely know turn out to be quite fascinating as John delicately digs into what it's like to make a living, or not, in this crazy, very crazy business over the decades. Even with people I've never even heard of, John seems to always pull a thread or two to make the whole a fascinating composite picture of the ups and downs of all kinds of human beings trying to make it in a crazy, tough, and getting tougher business without losing their minds or souls. That's perfectly said. That's exactly what we're trying to do here. I've learned more than I thought possible about acts I thought I already knew inside out. Learn to love acts I've never thought about much at all, and learn to have more respect for acts I never thought I'd like. An always unexpected eye-opening eye-opener, offering a perspective unique among music podcasts. A plus. Wow, Ricky NYC. I don't know if I know you or not, but thank you for that. That was long, but that was spot on. Thank you for saying that so much. It means so much to us, guys. This is exactly the mission that Yan and I are on. So here's another one, Abercarve Jacob. I can't even read that. It's a bunch of letters thrown together. Love that. Maybe it's a bot. I'm just kidding. Even if bots want to write us five stars, that's okay. Love this podcast. Five stars. I just discovered this podcast a couple of weeks ago. We've been in lockdown mode, and I'm going through major nostalgia for better days. Aren't we all? My goodness. The 70s, 80s, and 90s. I love listening to these interviews of artists recalling their memories of days gone by. So far, standout episodes to me have been Juliana Hatfield, Dave from Catherine Wheel, right on, Joey Scarberry, and Eric Bazilian of the Hooters. I can't wait to listen to more. Thanks for this podcast. Thank you, Aber, Carved, and then a bunch of letters. That really is sweet. Okay, here's a really interesting one from McKishan. I'm going to tell you about more about this in a minute. The best music podcast, five stars. Just listen to the Andrew Ferris episode. Amazing interview. Truth be told, I was very critical of John's interview style early on, but he has developed into a great interviewer. He asks all the questions that you or I would ask, want answered, and you can hear how passionate and knowledgeable he is about the people he's interviewing then this is in all caps. If you love music, this is the best podcast around. Thank you, McKishan. And let me tell you about McKishan. I think I know, well, I don't know him personally, but thankfully, humbly I say this, we've only ever had a couple of bad reviews on iTunes. And only two have been written, two two-star reviews, and I think McKishan wrote both of those early on. And so, first of all, thank you, McKishan, for sticking with us. And secondly, we managed to convert him to what we're doing, and now he loves us. Thank you, McKishan, for that. And I'm, I'm amazed by that. That is really special. Thank you. All right, last one. I'll be quick about it. Jerry Arboretum. I don't think I know Jerry either. Terrific interviews with deep cut guests. Five stars. I came to this podcast late and it's interesting to hear how it's evolved. Used to focus on musicians second or third act after they got out. Now it's a real mix. John has become a unique interviewer who draws out great stories and backstories from a wide range of writers, musicians, and producers. I especially love hearing the producers' stories and perspectives. Thank you for saying that, Jerry Arboretum. We've got a little bit of everything. As I've said to all you guys, when we started, the idea was to 
sort of seek out obscure obscure artists who flirted with fame, you know, maybe put out one album or had a moment in the sun. And then what do you do when that moment goes away? But we've been really lucky. We've built a good roster and curated a great group of guests, including Graham Russell today. And so it's just grown. We like any story. I just try to sniff out really good stories. Wherever I smell one, big artist, little one, if those people are willing to talk to me, we'll get to the bottom of it. That's what we're trying to do here. Real quick, I want to say about Patreon. We're so grateful for everyone who has contributed to Patreon. Just this last week, I've lined up like four or five, well, four, three or four really cool interviews. One of them would help two of them actually have probably already happened since you since you're going to be listening to this. If you want to get in on this, there's the two tiers. The second tier, the one that gets you in on this, 5 bucks a month. I will tell you every interview I'm I have upcoming except for the deep dives and the bonus ones, and you can contribute questions that will possibly make it into the episode. Secondly, uh the first tier is $2 a month. Set it and forget it, both cases, and that will automatically qualify you for any swag to give away. And now that we have this tier, I'm asking for more swag and things are starting to come. CDs and stuff like that. So if you want to be a part of that, that's what we'll do too. And lastly, I'm just going to say this real quick. So this sounds weird, but for, you know, for the last year, I have been trying for a year. I set a goal that I was going to do a daily music poll on our Facebook page for one year. And I started last year on August 29th. So we're coming up to the end of this year. And originally we were having like a couple hundred people engaged with us every day on this poll. But the other goal I set for myself, which has been hard is I never want to use the same artist on a poll twice. In fact, Air Supply went up against uh, Men at Work a few months ago. You guys may remember. I think Air Supply lost. Sorry, guys. Anyway, um, so I'm trying to put two unique bands up against each other every day for a full year. And we have a month left. And so the pickings are getting a little slim. We're starting to go into a little more obscure territory. But I don't know what happened. But about a month or two ago, in fact, I remember exactly. It was when the Graham Maybe episode came out. All of a sudden... Everything stopped, and now we get like a third or maybe half of the kind of engagement that we used to have on these things. Now, maybe either A, Facebook changed its algorithm. I'm hearing from all kinds of people who are saying, this isn't showing up in my feed anymore. Probably a lot of politics is knocking these things out. And then secondly, maybe with the more obscure artists that we're focusing on, less people even know who we're talking about. But they're not super obscure. If you're a music lover, you know who these people are, I think, anyway, if you don't Google it. Anyway, so I say all this because just know through the end of, of August, there will be a poll up there every day. So even if it doesn't show up on your feed, if you want to come join, just hop over to our page. There will be a poll there. They, each one lasts for a week. Get involved. We loved hearing from you guys. After this, after the end of August, I might take a little time off and then we're probably going to move on to songs or albums, a bracket. I really want to do a bracket. We'll figure it out. Okay. But anyway, let's go strong for this last month. Thanks everybody. Let's get back to Graham. Again, going back to this sort of, you guys getting pigeonholed as a ballad band. Mm. When I listen to that song, what I'm reminded of are guys like Dewey and Jerry from America, you know, oh, yeah. That, yeah. that's what that's that band and they're, and they're such radically different voices but sounding so beautiful salty and sweet when they come together on a song and lost in love reminds me of that yeah tell me about lost in love because that was a breakout right yeah it was yeah well we we came back to the u.s after opening for rod for six months in 1977 and in australia they'd forgotten all about us you know and 
before we left, we were kind of very popular there. And we got a little bit miffed by that. We thought, God, you know, we we were just opening for the biggest act in the world. Nobody in Australia had ever done that before. Very few bands had even gone overseas from Australia. So we thought we were the returning heroes and they'd forgotten all about us. And so, you know, Russell got a, had to get a job. He got a job on a video or something, moving fog machine. And I, I went away. I thought I was really dark and I went away to another state. I went to Adelaide and I said, I'm just going to park and write some songs, you know, and I sat down and I wrote, I wrote Ross in Love, All Out of Love, Chances, and all that first album in in about two weeks. And I said to I called Russell up and I said, I've got some songs that I think are cool. Can we get together? So he got on a bus and he drove 1,200 miles on a bus to come to Adelaide. Yeah. And we met and we we played Lost in Love. And after we played it the first time, and, you know, when we get together, we we don't figure out who's going to sing what. It just happens. And I sang the melody because I was, you know, I said, well, this is how it goes. And and he, he jumped in and he started singing because he had the words in front of him and he started singing and it sounded really good. And really, that was it. But he said to me after the first run through, he said, this is the song. He says, this is going to break us. And I said, you think so? Because it it's a simple song. There's only four chords. And there's no bridge. The chorus is kind of the verse. It just rolls along. And he said, this is the one. So we recorded it in Australia. And it was he was right. It was a big hit for us in Australia. That was 1978. And then, of course, in those days, if you had a hit in Australia, you didn't make any money. All it meant was you could... You could work in a few more of those smelly pubs. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, which we did. So we were working and we worked for two years and we were getting less and less popular. Lost in Love was out of the charts suddenly. So we had no, no future really. And we couldn't afford to even work. We were getting $200 a night. We couldn't afford it anymore. We couldn't afford to pay a band, the PA system. And we said, you know, let's just stop. So I went to, this was like 79, uh, 79, and Russell got another job. And I went to this publishing convention called Midem. It's always in the south of France every year. I think in, I can't remember, November or something. And I borrowed enough money to go over there. I thought, I've got to sell some songs. And I got there. And I got food poisoning. Oh! Yeah, and it was terrible. Oh! And I couldn't leave my room for three days. And I was being sick every five minutes. And when I finally got enough energy to go out the room, I went in the streets. And, of course, the whole Midem conference had finished. <laughs> so it was like a, a scene out of an old cowboy movie where all the streets were deserted litter was blowing up the streets and yeah. everybody everybody had gone and i i saw in a newsstand there was a, a record world it was a a magazine like billboard i don't think it's around anymore and it was on the front was all midem you know this up you know midem's finished what a great success and i thought oh that figures you know mm-hmm. but on the front it was a little thing a sticker and it said 
uh, lost in love, uh, destined to be a big hit. And I thought, oh, that's all I need. Somebody else has written a song called Lost in Love. <laughs> and, uh, and it's going to be a big hit, you know. Yeah. And, and it said, turn to page five for more details. So I, I was loath to do it, but I turned to page five and there's a picture of me and Russell there. And it said, Lost in Love, Air Supply is going to go all the yeah. way. Yeah. We hadn't even signed a record deal. Oh, man. And, but somehow, and it was on Arison, Clive Davis had found, got the song, the record. He'd bought the rights to the record. And so I said, who's this Clive Davis guy? So I called him up and I said, and he said, hello, this is Clive Davis. And I said, well, I'm, I'm Graham Russell from Air Supply and I know you don't know who I am. And he says, where are you? And I said, I'm in the south of France. He says, what are you doing there? I said, well, I just saw the record. What he said, you've got to get home, get that album recorded right now. He said, Lost in Love is going to go all the way. And he was right. And so I, I borrowed some more money <laughs> to get back to Australia. And we recorded the first album. And of course, Amazing. Lost in Love came out in January 1980. And it was record of the year, song of the year and all that stuff. But Clive was, he was really funny, you know, really funny. And yeah, funnily, I hear a lot of stories about him too. <laughs> funnily, funnily enough, we haven't been in touch with Clive for maybe 25 years. And two days ago, he called me out of the blue. What? Really? I swear to God, he called me. And I saw this, he's a 917 number, New York. Uh -huh. And I saw it and I was having my hair cut and I thought, oh God, here's a, a spam call. Right. And I, I picked it up and he's, it, and he said, is this Graham? I said, yeah. He said, this is Clive Davis. I went, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Great, great conversation, and, uh, which is, I thought was interesting, you know. Did he just call to say hi? Well, he wants us to do this. He's doing a live show, a podcast. Not a, uh, it is a podcast with all the artists he's known over the yes. years. Yes. And he said, would you do it? I said, of course we'll do it. So we're yeah. going to do it next, next Saturday. with, And he's going to interview us, much like this. Amazing. You know? Great. Oh, that's yeah. great. That's great. That's cool. Yeah. Cool. Let me ask you about another. One of my favorite songs of yours is off the first album, Feel the Breeze. Really, that's yeah, I like it because it's kind of funky yeah, and it uh, it's kind of different than what you think you are listening to when you listen to Air Supply. And I was listening to an old interview of yours from the 70s 
on YouTube and you were on tour with Chicago and Boz Skaggs. Right. And I thought, I wonder if that, if prior to these fantastic ballads really kind of overwhelming and overtaking what air supply is to people, if the initial idea would have been to have been a band more like the band that would put out Feel the Breeze, someone right. like Chicago or America or Boz Gags. Do you, where do you yeah. put yourself? Do you know what I mean? Well, it's interesting, yeah, because in the early days, you know, the record producers, when they'd hear some of my songs, even before we recorded them, they'd pick those ballads. And they'd say, we've got to record that one and that one and that one. And they were all big ballads. But yeah. I do write a lot of other stuff that's different than that. And Feel the Breeze is one example. But I, funnily enough, I love dance music and I love techno and all that. And I write my fair share of that, especially for musicals. But they always picked those particular songs, the big epic ballads. And so did Clive, which were huge hits, of course. So he yeah. was always right. But it didn't give us the opportunity to play something else. So consequently now over time we've become the band that plays those big ballads and that's become our thing and we we can't stop it or we couldn't we can't change it it's too late but people are very surprised when they come and see us live because we play the big hits of course but we play a lot of other stuff and they go wow i love that song i love yeah. that one but they've never heard it before but that's good for a songwriter that's good too because yeah. it lets people know that we diversify you know but yeah. uh, they come, it's like any band, you know, if I go and see the Stones or McCartney, you want to hear the big hits. Yeah. Uh, and for bands like McCartney and the Stones, and us to a much lesser degree, people want to hear those big hits. And if they do, they're going to be there for two and a half hours, you know. True. And, but they want to hear, you know, I like to hear new things too, especially from McCartney. Yeah. But for a band that's been around forever, it's their duty to play the hits that people want to hear, you know. Right, right. Going back, we we were talking about the ups and downs. I, I'm curious how it feels. And this is something I always try to dive in with, of, with legacy artists that I have on here. You know, so we're looking at like 85 and the Air Supply album comes out, 86, Hearts in Motion. Things are, mm -hmm. they're good, but they aren't what they were, you right. know. And I wonder how it feels in that moment. Are you aware the tide is sort of turning and things are different or in your mind, are you thinking, you know, I'm just still making music and the next thing will hit, something's going to hit. It's going to be fine. Where is your mind frame during those periods? Right. It, when we, that started and we could definitely feel that decline. There's absolutely no way around it. And, you know, we'd gotten used to so much success in the charts and this, that, and the other that I think maybe we got a little too used to it because when it started not to happen or when we had a song that stopped at 19, when we were used to top five, uh, we got a little miffed with, oh God. But then we started to think, oh, maybe it's, it's changing now. And it was changing, of course. We'd had a great career, you know, we'd sold a lot of, a lot of records and we'd done very well, but it, it was difficult to, to embrace that change. But of course you have to embrace it, you know, and we learned to do that. I think at that point we probably thought, oh, we well, maybe we've got another year left and then we'll break up or do whatever. But instead, because we love playing live so much, we went to places that had never had a band before because we got invitations. 
like for instance, we went, we got invitation to, to tour China. We were, nobody had been there before. And we said, wow, that sounds interesting. Then we went to Korea and we went to uh, Taiwan and uh, Vietnam and all these places that had never had seen a band before. And to us, that was exciting. And we just really enjoyed it. So we started and we kept going back and we'd play all these funky places, uh, places in South America that, and, and Mexico. You'd, you would see the power supply held in the wall with gaffer tape, you know. <laughs> yeah. uh, oh, it was uh, frightening. And we'd be on a plane and the guy would say, oh, yeah, we've got a private plane, you know. And, and this was... In particular instance was in Mexico and he said oh, we said oh great you know and we're gonna go fly across Mexico we get the plane and it's a, a prop plane right oh no and there are cable I'm not lying there are cable ties holding the propeller onto the shaft and we said to the pilot that's a cable tie he says yeah but it's really strong and so we get on we get on the plane there's no seats oh, except no. There's a seat for the pilot, the co-pilot, and then there's one seat behind the, the co-pilot. And all our gear's on there, there's, and the band and the crew are on there, and all our equipment. And there's no seats. Everybody's sitting on the floor or on these cases. Right. And I said to the pilot, because it was a tiny plane, I said, we started a taxi, and I said to him, is this thing going to take off? And he said, I think so. Uh -huh. <laughs> and I'm going... Oh, but we got there, you know, so we had all those kind of adventures. Wow. Yeah. I, that's got to be humbling to some degree. I'm just imagining you in the back of this plane thinking, I ha I've had like numerous top 10 hits. What yeah, am I right. doing in the back of this plane? Yeah, well, it brought us back to reality, you know, uh, it did. And then we got used to the fact that we're not going to be all over the charts again, or at least not for a while. So, but it was okay, you know, I yeah. mean, we, at that point, we'd been together for like 15 or 16 years which we thought was a long time yeah. but then at, after a few years something changed i don't know what it was and i th but i think it was because probably we kept doing our thing we kept playing yeah. live which we loved yeah. and you know we weren't selling any albums anymore but we we just kept playing and we had a great time we were going all these weird places and then suddenly the years rolled by and then it just happened that we suddenly became in vogue again, not for any particular reason or, do you know, I mean, you won't see us on the front of Rolling Stone or any of the magazines. That's never really, that's never happened to us. But we do our thing and we're very proud of, of our show and what we do, you know, because our music now means so much to so many people around the world. You know, we, we sell yeah. out every show, wherever it is, and that's enough for us. You know, we don't need any yeah. more. Yeah, it's true. At the end of the day, <clears throat> quality wins out. And if you stick around long enough, you survive through those fallow periods to do a sort of victory lap like you yeah. guys are doing now. And then, yeah. uh, and you know, so many bands go through it, especially bands from your era. So, okay, let me ask you this. I, I know we're, I know you don't have a ton of time. So I want to, I just want to hear some stories. I want you to tell me like, when you're sitting back there in Camas, Utah, on your big plot of land, and you're just mm. thinking, "I can't believe I've, the rock star life I've had." What's like? What are your what's your favorite memory? The thing that just is like you would not believe what happened to me. 
I got to think about that, you know. I mean, not that much really happens to us, to be quite honest. I mean, <laughs> but, you know, in my career, one of the high high points was playing for Princess Di and Prince Charles. In, in 1988, we were asked to come and play. And uh, other artists were on the bill too, but they made a special point. They said, we want Air Supply to be at this show. And it was in Australia. And we were in the line with the, the royalty come down and meet you, you know, and do all that. But uh, Princess Di stopped. Russell was here. And she stopped to talk to Russell. And I was right next to him. So I was all ears, you know. Uh-huh. And she said, you know, I've got all your I've got all your albums at home. And I went, whoa, you know. And I thought, wow, this is, I couldn't believe it. I thought, I'm talking to Princess Di here, the, the wife yeah. of the future King of England. And I thought, I'm, I'm just a... Uh, a kid from from Nottingham in England, you know, I, there are millions of people that should be here instead of me. I've always thought that, but then when I'm here, like you know, living in Utah, quite odd because I have a really nice piece of ground, and, yeah. and I and I love nature, you know, and I yeah. sometimes stop often, and I'll just look at everything and I go, wow. And in fact, I did it last night. I thought, wow, I'm the luckiest guy in the world, you know. Yeah. Because where I live is not everybody's cup of tea, but I love it to death. And it's been so good to me. And I just love the peace and quiet. And I think to myself, well, I don't need anything else. Yeah. You know, I mean, my my house and my land and everything I own is all paid for. I, I you know, I'll never be wanting for anything. Uh, but but at the same time, I live very frugally, you know, I'm vegan, I don't eat meat or anything. And, oh, interesting. Yeah, and so I have a great life and I'm very thankful for it. Like if it, if it ended tomorrow, all the touring and everything, well, it has been for three months, I would go, I would think to myself, I wouldn't be sad. Well, I would be sad, but I'd think, wow, I've had above and beyond the things, the things yeah. that I've got somebody else should have really got it, it shouldn't yeah. have been me i always think that you know it's given me so much and it allows me to to do what i love to do is is to write songs and i can do it all day every day if i want that and that and gardening <laughs> yeah oh really interesting i'm a big gardener yeah good okay well i just, uh, I just felt um, i'm i'm sorry to interrupt but i oh. just finished planted yesterday i built a geothermal greenhouse that's uh, 90 feet long and uh, yeah it's and it's sunk in the ground eight feet and it's geothermal so it never gets below 51 degrees in the winter wow yeah so that'll keep me busy during the uh during the winter months you know? yes that's amazing <laughs> it yeah, is, how do you, cool. are you a winter person do you mind the snow because you you got a lot of it up there we get a lot but you know as you know back with utah in the winter especially up here you can have a, a lot of snow on the ground and, and a blizzard, but then it'll stop. The sun will come out. The sky yeah. will be blue, and you can go out just with a light jacket, even in, in winter, yeah. because the sun's beating down. And that's what I love. I love the seasons, you know. I, yeah. In England, I grew up with the seasons, but here they're more pronounced. I mean, in winter, you know it's winter. But, you know, I kind of like it. Uh, yeah. I like rugging up, going out, and then coming yeah. back and having a blazing fire. That's what That's I love. That's amazing. Oh, I love it. I love yeah. it. Yeah. 
Well, Graham, uh, I love you a lot. And uh, thanks for all the good you've put out in the world. And I'm so glad that Air Supply gets to take this victory lap because you worked for it and you deserve it. And these songs endure forever. Thank, Thank you, you so everything. much. It's been a Absolutely. great interview and I'm really glad you're from Utah. There you have it, Graham Russell. What a sweet, sweet man. Seriously, so humble. I love these guys. I'm so grateful that he talked to me. Um, I wanted to close it out with a deeper track. Now, this song is called This Heart Belongs to Me, and it's from the early 80s. It's in their heyday, but it wasn't a hit or anything. And I just want to give another example of sort of the diversity that you may not think of when you think of Air Supply. These guys are great. They deserve this success. Anyway, thank you, uh, Graham, for talking with me. Now, next week's guest, this is going to be interesting. Uh, next week's guest is a founding member of probably the preeminent American indie rock band. Their debut album is basically a rite of passage at this point. I don't know if that gives us, gives us away or not, but that's who next week's guest is. It's going to be fun. Now, huge thanks, as always, to Yan the Man Makevich. Thank you, buddy, for being my partner with all of this. We're so grateful for your hard work. Also, you guys know how to find us on Facebook by now. You can like our page. You can send us a message on there. You can send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter at thehustlepod. Also, later this week, we have a very special bonus episode coming out. I had a conversation about an artist that I love who has is no longer with us, but we talked. I talked to... Um, his widow, and his best friend. And so we have a long conversation about the legacy of this particular artist. That should come out this weekend, okay? Hopefully, if Yen and I, schedules work out. All right? Thanks, everybody. We love you. Stop!